All right. Welcome to the show, Jan. Thanks for having me, buddy, on a beautiful morning here in downtown Catch Harbor. That's right. I normally, most of my recordings I do in the evening, but it's nice to have like a cup of joe and do in the morning. Absolutely. It is a cup of joe worthy morning. I'm not even a coffee drinker, and I, I take the point of how wonderful it looks right now. When uh, Roop and I were on our last canoe trip, on like the real crummy days, we'd, our saying would be, it's a two coffee morning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I get that. You know, sometimes the only motivator for a long day of a slug in the middle of a trip is... And that little bright spot of a warm drink somewhere. That hot cup of joe, man. I'm useless without it. So when, when you told me you couldn't drink it, it's just so foreign to me. People who yeah, can you get know, through without. Uh, I feel, you know, my father-in-law, for example, says it's my character flaw. He's like, I don't know. Like, can I trust you? Like, you don't drink <laughs> coffee? Like, how, how, how are we supposed to communicate? <laughs> I'm fully addicted, but I love the addiction. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, totally. It's not to say I don't have some caffeine from time to time. Like, if I need some pep in the step, then, you know, I'll, I'll source something. But, you know, as, as a ritual, no, I don't really, I don't rock the coffee too often. Um, man, how many years since Paddle the Sable? It's been a- 2013 is when we did it. So now, you know, we're, we're eight years out, which is also impossible to even fathom that it was that long ago. Because was it yet a national park when you when you went? Uh, interestingly enough, it was the year it became a national park, and I, I do think that was one of the advantages we had in being allowed to do it at all, because they saw it as a good opportunity for some sort of shared messaging around the island. So I think we lucked out because I think you know if they were kind of more in that transitionary phase of taking it over as a park right i bet you they totally would have told us listen guys this is cute what you're planning to do but i don't think this is possible right now do you need permission to go there or can anyone go to sable like could i just paddle the sable island on my own or do you need to seek some sort of permission to go so there are hoops and you know you're encouraged definitely to to be as diligent as you can i mean sable island is you know one of the most unique landscapes and ecosystems anywhere in the world. You know, sure. you got to consider the fact that it's a, a very sensitive habitat for a lot of very, uh, you know, endemic creatures and stuff that live there. Right. So they try to be really, really tight about who goes and what goes on the Island right. over time. Now, if you are a mariner who happens to find themselves in a storm and you get blown on disabled, you'd be most welcome, but they sure. do try to uh, make sure that, Anybody who is visiting has done so in a way that is very controlled. Right, right. Um, and for people who aren't familiar, that it's how many nautical miles off the coast? So kind of where we're sitting right now, we're about, I don't know, 110 nautical miles. Yeah, and you went from Kansa. We went from Kansa, which is the closest place. So, you know, basically, if you drew a straight line, which I can tell you a kayak does not go in a straight line when you <laughs> right. paddle it in a big distance like that. Uh, it's about 165k, but we ended up paddling about 200 and change. Just because you currents and you, you're like, it's not, it's never a straight line. You have to like, yeah, arc. totally for right. sure. Yeah, and mostly due to the wind. You know, we were kind of like the direction of wind that we had um, basically put it into our. If you want to think about it, like a clock, it was coming at us basically at at two o'clock the whole time we're sort of paddling into it so it, it sort of was pushing us in, a, in the direction we wanted it to go but we we're also always having to compensate for that at the same right time. right and you went what what time of year 
we went late August, which, you know, typically is when you're going to have the most favorable winds. Right. Um, it's typically also when you're going to have the most favorable conditions around fog. Right. Sable Island can sometimes have 300 days a year of fog. <laughs> um, and oh, there's a man. lot of reasons for the fact that you want to be really calculated about it. Because basically, for people who don't know, Sable Island is it, what creates it, in fact, is the conveyor belt of warm water that brings up yeah, warm like water. Yeah, it's like where the Labrador current meets the Gulf Stream, basically. It's right? exactly that, right? So, you know, and it coincides right over top of the shelf of the North Atlantic. Um, and over eons, that just piles up massive, massive amounts of sand. And that's all Sable Island is. is one. It's, you know, technically the second largest beach in the world after Fraser Island in Australia. Yeah, it's it's only sand. There's not really any like rocky headlands or anything. Right? No, no, absolutely not. And because of that, it's actually moving around in real time all the time because these sand dunes, which make up the island, some of which are over ten stories tall. Yeah, uh, they are always moving around. So this, the the island fluctuates in size and shrinks and grows every year. Yeah, cool. We had a at our office like a chart of Sable Island from the 1800s. Oh yeah, and it was a totally different shape. Yeah, cool, completely, for sure. Like, it's always kind of got that arc shape, but, like, if you actually compared it to what you see on Google Earth, it, there's parts that are totally new. And, I mean, that's, like, a 200 or 150-year or time scale. I imagine it doesn't even take, probably, probably different year to year, you know? Absolutely, completely different year to year because, you know, again, there's so many factors involved uh, in the terms of the currents and the conditions and the big storms that kind of plow through there. And, uh, you know, it's referred to by, by many and, you know, mariners for, for many hundreds of years as the graveyard of the Atlantic because of the conditions that, you know, a it's positioned to get really slammed by huge storms and B it's a big sandbar. So the amount of shipwrecks and stuff that have been happened there over the years, I mean, it's in the thousands. Right. And it's kind of right in the middle of the New York, London, kind of Eastern seaboard, Europe shipping route. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you factor in the two world wars and ships going back and forth throughout that and all the other things like there are. Yeah. I mean, even when we were there, you could see old shipwrecks uh, coming out of the sand all over the place Yeah, because it's just, it's happened. And plus there's a lot of just things just washing up there. It's pretty unique for that right. too. But it's uh, the, part of the reason that, um, it's known at all as an island is because it was the very first place to have a life-saving station anywhere oh. in North America. Cool. Probably for that reason, because it was the graveyard of the Atlantic. Fully. You know, the more, and we're going back over 200 years where, you know, somebody was, and not only somebody, like a whole community of people were living out there. Right. Is that, how, is that how the, you know, now famous horses ended up there? A lot of speculation about these horses and how they got there. And I think part of it, too, is people kind of like the myth around sure. how they got there. Um, and from my understanding and sort of talking to experts about it over the years is I think there's been like several waves of migration of horse there. Right. Uh, and partly I think some of that done on purpose to keep the genetic variety right. enough that they're not inbreeding. Right. Um, but, you know, some people say that it was like shipwrecks. That, you know, the horses got off the shipwrecks and then made their way onto the island. That seems like a tall tale. It seems like a pretty tall tale. Now, what I think, you know, some of the more leading, um, perhaps true theories is that some some folks say that the British during, um, you know, the expulsion of the Acadians rounded up a lot of their livestock horses. Uh. Um, didn't want to transport them all the way across, back across uh, the Atlantic, stopped off and let them off on Sable. Cool. 
so that started a population. There's there's also talk of, um, you know, uh, a local well-known circus purveyor, the Bill Lynch Circus. <laughs> I like this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dropping off um, some of his horses out there. But I do know that, yeah, they have added to it over the years. And there was even talk back in the 60s that they were going to remove them altogether. I heard that, yeah. Um, and it was like a written hand-letter campaign of kids across Canada who wrote to the prime minister and stopped them from, yeah, removing the horses from Sable. So now they're considered a landed species there. Right. They're no longer considered invasive. Correct. Yeah. Right. right. You know, and at the time we were there, there was over 400 of them. That's cool. Must be a hard life, you know, living out there windswept. I feel like most of the time they're digging it. For sure, sure, because they just live like a pretty wonderful life. Right. But man, yeah, like in the middle of a winter storm and they're just taking it right on the head. There, there must be a decent freshwater source then. Some. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. So there's these freshwater pools, basically, that collect in these little valleys right? Um, next to all the different sand dunes. Yeah. And uh, that's what sustains them. And then not only that, but the marum grass, the grass that grows up. The dew in, on the grass. Yeah, the dew in the grass. And that, that uh, is also super important for the integrity of the island. It's basically the only thing that holds it together. Sure, all the roots, yeah. So, and they eat the shoots off the marum grass. That's what basically their almost entire diet is, right? Right. So there's almost a bit what they think now is a little bit of a symbiotic relationship there because the horses eat the shoots. They like their, you know, their poop spreads around the island and it spreads the seeds and actually promotes the growth uh, of the marum grass, which helps, prom- you know, protect the island over right, time. Right, cool. So when you ship off from Canso, you know, in August, do you have a... You have a weather window, I would see, I would think. Like you didn't, you weren't just going on day X. You were like pick. You had a r- range of days, and then you picked the best one. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I guess to give some context to it, like this was a fundraiser that we did this for, um, in support of a wonderful organization called Brigadoon Village. Yeah, and uh, the hope was to really, you know, frame the trip, um, really about a discussion around mental health. You know, I worked in mental health and addictions for a long time, specifically using the outdoors as a as a method for discussing mental health and addiction. And when we went to, you know, pitch the trip to Brigadoon Village, who is a wonderful organization that works with kids, you know, at a sort of summer camp setting and does amazing work. And we were really super proud to support them. They want to make sure that if they're getting on board with something like an expedition, like we were planning, that You're we had really all nilly. our safety plan sure. dialed. So right. we had like a week, basically, almost 10 days window where we could make a run for it at any time. Yeah. But that was super stressful because, you know, we had to have a support boat. Now, we didn't touch the support boat, but like, right. you know, it was kind of off a couple kilometers away at all times. Right. And, you know, their schedule, too, was obviously a factor. In all gotcha. This. And so we, believe it or not... 
sat in Canso for eight days. Really? You went at the, that was my next question. You went, when did you go in the window? Yeah. We, so we, we just said, because we, we really thought right at the beginning we were going to have a window to do it. Yeah. And we got up there and it was just like right on the edge of what was possible. Like kind of gusty up to like 25, 30 knots of wind. It's a lot in the boat. It's a kayak. lot in the kayak for yeah. sure. Especially sustained over, you know, over 24 hours, which we kind of knew what we were probably getting into. Right. Yeah. So literally the last day, the last possible day, we, the winds kind of shifted to like 15 to 20 knots. Right. Just enough that we were like, okay, let's make a run for it. Cool. It must be such like, I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but you're like, I'm sure you're always calculating and looking at the weather and like making the call. Should we go? Should we go? You know? Yeah. That. And like for me, you know, I've done lots of long haul tripping. You know, and I'm sure, you know, lots of your people who you spoke to as well, you know, in these long canoe trips where like it's it's a physical burden for sure, but you kind of have like a longer it's a longer game, right? Right. When you're going to do these like one shot long twenty four hour to thirty hour nonstop goes. Crossing, like man, the exposure is yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So what worries me in situations like that is like every day that you're not training and every day that you're not getting good sleep because you're worried about right what's going to come the next day, you're kind of like it's diminishing returns on your body, right? Yeah. So after 8 days, I mean you can you can lose a lot of sure. what you've worked hard to gain. Right. And so yeah, you know, I I was pretty concerned that like you know, we kind of like, we, we just burned the gas that we had too early here. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I remember the night before we left, just like, no, I couldn't sleep a wink, man. And knowing that I had to be awake for oh, basically two days I'm straight sure. after this. And I was like, oh God, what have we got ourselves into here? Right. And yeah, you were with, you were in a two man boat with another guy. Yeah. Yeah. Graham Carter was the uh, person who was foolish enough to say yes to doing something like this. Right. And he, I think you know, was like the heart of the trip because he's just like uh, part beast, part man. Right. And could just like put his head down and just, you know, really crank out the strokes for hours and hours. And at the same time, like love it like a child. Sure. You know, he just, I think he, he loves a good suffer fest. Who sat in the front? Who sat in the back? He sat in the front yeah. and I sat in the back cause I was kind of more responsible for the navigation gotcha. and also paddling you, all the time. You had your feet on the pedals. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what type of boat were you in? So we were in a 20 foot sea kayak. Ooh, big. That's yeah, awesome. Big, but really streamlined. Like it sure. was designed to go fast and yeah. that was part of it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, plus hold all our gear and stuff like that. But um, we had a you know custom made by Nucky Kayaks down in uh, Old Town, Maine, and, and they did a great job with it, and were, were great to work with. Cool. But um, we only, and this was another like logistic thing. We only got the boat like a couple weeks before the trip, so oh, we really? only had like a very short window in which to train with it. We had a different boat that we trained with for for basically a year before that. Right. You know, just kind of like iron out some of those last little details. It was yeah. kind of right down to the wire. Cool. The trip. Um we're doing this summer is actually in a kayak and a clepper. Oh yeah. Like yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. I have a clepper. It's upstairs. Um, they're legendary boats. Yeah. They're man. It's cool. Two hockey bags. You got a boat. You yeah. Fly yeah. Uh, years ago I used to guide down in New Zealand, uh, and there was a couple trips that, that would fly us into these, um, you know, different fjords down the, the Southwest corner of the, of the South Island. And then we would, put together clipper boats yeah and, and cool. paddle out man they're yeah, really special yeah um uh how long did it take you at the end 
So we were like 29 hours and a bit, you know, basically call it 30 hours straight. Wow. And yeah, so like, are you paddling all the time or are you at some points is your partner taking over and you kind of take it easy for an hour? No, no, all the time. You know, basically the way we calculated at a trip at that length um, and what we trained for was basically sustained activity the whole time. Now you're taking pee breaks and you're... You know, you got to eat a lot of food and that kind of stuff. And, you know, also just wanting to take the time to be able to appreciate where we were. Sure. Know? Oh, man. Like once you get out of set of land and you're just floating around in the Atlantic, it must be crazy. Yeah. Particularly when uh, it was the middle of the night. And that, that was one of the questions. Like, what to fill me in? Like, how does that feel? So foreign. You know, I, look, I've grown up next to the ocean my entire life. And yeah. I've spent a lot of time in the ocean. And that's like part of what led to this being able to happen is, you know, up until, you know, we went to do that in 2013, I'd already spent tens of thousands of hours in a boat and stuff. Right. But there was still something so uniquely foreign about where we were. And this, you know, look, when you, and for your, people who are up north, like, you know, where like, you know, you're outside of the city lights and just the stars yeah. and the weight of all of it. And there were shooting stars and fish jumping everywhere. And, you know, you, I, we had a, a feeling certainly, and we had a great soundtrack too, which really helped. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah cool. re- really good music to, <laughs> to curate right, right. To the, some of these experiences. <laughs> so yeah, it just really felt uh, like a, a real sense of connectedness out there. Cause you know, you get the, the weight of, the ocean oh man and it's full and sense. you're in such a small craft yeah yeah and it was spooky too like for sure we in fact one of the guys who was on the boat um doing some of the camera work for on them, the on the the support boat on the support boat yeah he was in jared cork is a great guy and he is a, a wildlife researcher as well yeah and at a certain point through the night because you know when you're paddling you actually want to have as little light on as possible right? because, you know, your night vision. And for me specifically, you know, we're out there in anything between like two to four meters of waves. Right. And, you know, even in a 20 foot boat, that's a lot of bucking around. Sure. And that, you know, when, when the sun set basically by, by the direction that we were then traveling, the swell was coming from behind us. Right. You call that a following sea. And that actually kind of makes it hard because it's hard for me to predict how to steer the boat I all know the exactly time. The feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so you've got all your lights off, right? For the most part, a little and, beacon light that the support boat can see, right? But other than that, like you're basically just trying to go as as little light as possible. And you're navigating just off a compass bearing or something like that. No, we use GPS. You know, right. I would like to say I was hardcore enough just to like pull the compass out and do it, but. And I was running a compass all the time to kind of keep my line. Right. But no, we used to. No, that's what I mean. Just like at night, you're, you're, you can't see. I mean, like I've sailed at night. And yeah. You like, you, you could get totally disorientated. Yeah. But you're just, you know, the glowing red compass and you're just like trying to keep the, keep the bow of the boat on. Like yeah, the keep it between the pipes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it, it was late at night and it's dark and stuff. And we had these fish jump out of the water yeah. and land on our laps. Oh, cool. Like flying fish or something. Yeah. And we were like, this is crazy. Cool. Like, you know, so we radioed the boys over in the boat and like, guys, like, you're not going to believe this. There's like these fish, they're jumping out of the water, like right onto our laps. And then they laugh and then there's like a, a quiet pause and, you know, Jared comes back over and he's like, oh, that's great guys. Really good. Uh, anything else moving around in the water near you? And we're like, 
I don't think so. He's like, because there's really only, you know, one reason that a fish jumps out of the water (laughs) is because they're being chased by something. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I think a lot of Nova Scotians, like, don't understand how close we are to, like, the type of marine mammals that people assume live, like, in the tropics, you know, like. Marine mammals and, you know, uh, all your, you know, scariest versions of shark as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Sable Island is the largest herd of gray seal anywhere on the planet. Right, and the so, great white sharks like them. Oh, all sharks, you know, <laughs> are fans of the, the beautiful rare meat of the, the gray, gray seal. seal. And you see them, look, when you're walking on the island, there are plenty of seal corpses with very large bites taken out of them. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the folks who are out there, the researchers and stuff doing work out there, I mean, they, they tell you that they, they watch the sharks chase the seals around right in, you know, four feet of water. Ugh, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> what time of day did you... Leave and what time did you make landfall? So basically, we left at like quarter to five in the morning. Yeah, and we landed just before ten o'clock the next day. Cool. Yeah, man, what a whirlwind! I bet. Yeah, totally for sure. Like looking back on it now, you know, and this is the funny thing about the human brain, isn't it? You know, we just recall these things uh, so different than they actually happened. Right. You know, now I would be like, oh, yeah, we jumped the boat. We has, we sang some songs, you know, right. we ate a couple of cookies. It was great. Then we were at on Sable. But like, it, yeah, at the time it was like exhaustion to a, a degree I, I hadn't felt in a long time. It's a long time to just be stroke after stroke after stroke. Yeah. I, I feel, you know, like there are plenty of people who do, you know, obviously trans ocean crossings and stuff like that. But in my mind, like it's around the... 24 to 40 hour mark of sustained activity. Now, you know, again, there's like adventure racers and stuff all over the world who, who, who push it like that, but offshore, you know, the conditions that, you know, the North Atlantic could throw at you. I feel like you wouldn't want to get too much longer than that. No. Um, without having the ability, you know, cause like in the kayak that we were in, like there wasn't space for me to lay down or anything. No. You're just sitting and the kayaks are kind of uncomfortable. To be they, yeah, totally. For sure. You know, and I think like to this day, I probably still have some lower back issues. <laughs> right. that, yeah. They're, they're bad on the low back, you know, they are. Oh, yeah, when your feet sure. are at the same level as like your butt. Yeah. It's like tough to get comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of like after that, a lot of rehab on the sciatic nerve. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool, man. It's, uh, when I, I sailed up from the Caribbean, once and I had the watch from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. and that time of night at sea is so cool like you can like it goes from dark to like the faintest twilight like there's like astronomical twilight and then nautical twilight and then it gets like you know then the sun starts to come up man I can just imagine like I was in a did that in a 52 foot sailboat where like you have all the comforts of life I can just imagine being in a little 20 foot kayak and that being in that time of you know, that moment, it must have been so cool. Absolutely. You know, and I think, too, that we had an extraordinarily beautiful morning when the right. sun came up, like, the second day. Yeah. You know, because up until that point, we had we had fought a lot of wind. Right. And it was a long night. Like, it was, there, there, was a, there was a chunk there that was hard, like, really hard. I got cold. My dry suit leaked. Okay. And I got pretty wet and then had to like change out of it because I had a spare. Right. So I changed, you know, and this was not easy in the dark. 
No, that sitting in a kayak. Sitting in a kayak so changed out of the dry suit I was in and into a new one. Wow. And uh, could we were we hit a, like a, a real low point there where we were like, you know, I just got too cold to be able to sustain the, the, the amount of movement. Right. So we, you know, we took took that 25 minutes. I changed clothes and we had a snack and kind of resurrected ourselves a little bit. And uh, it was only the glow of the morning sun rising over the horizon that really saved us. Right. It was amazing. Just like the rejuvenation that happened when that sun came up. We were right. Like, All Warm, right. We're in right, now. Warms you right back up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, and what were you eating? Like what, what do you, what are you doing? I guess you just pre 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 made meals. Yeah, yeah, all kinds of protein rich, you know, sandwiches and you know, cookies and like you're burning far more calories than you're taking in. Oh right? sure. So uh, we just you know would basically, and I found like the the rhythm was you know having to like stop for a pee like basically almost every twenty minutes. Right. Because, you know, you're just drinking so much and eating so much. But, you know, we just, yeah, we're plowing food into us as often as possible to kind of keep it up. Yeah. But not so much that you were getting seasick because that can be an issue too. Right, right. Especially over long periods of time like that. Yeah. Just kind of keeping the body moving. You know, runners talk about that too, where it's like the nutrition beyond 24 hours can be tough because your body's just like, uh, uh. It doesn't really want it. Yeah. 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 Okay. A few times in my life I've been so exhausted where you're not even hungry. Like yeah. so physically exhausted where your body just isn't even hungry anymore. Which is a telltale sign that, you know, it's probably time to start thinking. To about. shut her down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Explain the, you know, the, the feelings and the vibe when you're like, can see it and you're like cruising in. And then finally when you make landfall, like how, how does that feel? Actually, it's kind of a funny story to tell you the truth. Um, so, you know, again, like this morning that we sort of, uh, lucked out and having as we made our final approach to Sable was like the most beautiful day. I mean, not unlike this morning, actually, it was just like bluebird sky, not a cloud in the sky. Right. The color of the water out there is so unique because, you know, again, you're so close to the Gulf Stream. A lot of that water is basically tropical and it's, you know, just singing that beautiful green blue color and the color of the sand even on Sable is a bit different, it's more golden than, in, right. you know, some of the, the whiter silvery sand we have here along the mainland. And, uh, so, you know, we could see the Island and it just, it just comes up as a speck, right? You know, it's pretty it's flat. Still, it's yeah. pretty flat. Yeah. And we got closer and closer. And so, you know, we, at, at a certain point, about 20 K out, we're talking now to the, to the folks at parks, Canada. And oh, cool. Saying, hey, like, you know, we're, we're getting close. They were expecting us, obviously. And they say, okay, great. Yeah. Like, here are the coordinates. We want you to land. <laughs> Like, come on, we're landing wherever we land. Yeah, right. Exactly. For sure. Like whatever the point is, closest point of land is like, that's where I want to go anyway. So we were like, yeah, okay, great. So we just sort of adjust our, our line a little bit. Cause we know we're probably still a couple hours out and then we, we keep going and keep going. And then I'm not kidding. We're like 200 meters offshore. Yeah. And I'm like, holy crap, we've done it. This is fucking great. Yeah. And they radio back and they're like, Oh guys, sorry. Listen, uh, actually where you're about to land, not good. We need you to come up the beach. And it's like a three K paddle <laughs> and a three K paddle after you paddled 200 and something kilometers, 206 kilometers. It was an excruciating three. It was like, it might as well have been Everest. Right. So Graham, uh, thankfully reached into the front cockpit of the kayak and he pulled out, uh, two like huge chocolate chip cookies. Right. And he smeared peanut butter 
on the cookies. And then he took a, a Mars bar and snapped that and then made it into like a cookie sandwich. And we ate that. That got you to there. And we, and we just pushed it that those last couple of kilometers. Then finally, you know, after, you know, thinking about it and for years and, and finally doing the paddle, we land on the beach and we're yeah. like, Oh my God, we did it. This is crazy. Yeah. And the crew of people who were on the support boat, are trying to get onto the beach so they can come and film us. Right. But the tender, like the little boat they have to get from the big boat to the beach and Sable Island beach is like a surf beach. You know, it's like, right, you know, right. even on a calm day, like we had it, it's, it's still like, that was, that was probably one of the more dangerous parts of the whole trip. A hundred percent. Yeah. The boat. It's just landing. Yeah. And so there, so these guys are coming in on this little rowboat and it's like way overpacked. And <laughs> I had been really clear with them. Like when we had laugh, I'm like, two people at a time, not too much camera gear, not, you know, right. take your time and we'll, and we'll get you in. So we're not on the Island for like a full 45 seconds before, like I see to my horror, four people in this <laughs> tiny little boat. That's about to be swamped by like a shoulder high set of waves that right. are coming in. And so we just like immediately peel off all our gear and like dive in after them into the water to try to like go and save this boat from capsizing. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Paddling to Sable wasn't enough. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then did you have time to hang out and explore the island? We did. You... Yeah. We had a wonderful day there and of which my memory is a bit foggy, largely from being awake for so long, but it was spectacular. And the folks from Parks Canada were super generous to take us on a tour around the island. And Cool you know, see the horses and the shipwrecks. And, you know, there was one instance where we walked down into this little valley and uh, there was like a, a fin whale skeleton. Yeah. And, you know, just the size of it was enormous. You yeah. Know, like just it's like kind of hip bone, like you, me and two other people could sit inside. Right. And just the, 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 the scenery out there is spectacular in every sense and the wildlife and just how raw and really remote it feels. For sure. Are you the first person to paddle there with Graham, I guess? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's certainly uh, many tales uh, within, you know, the indigenous cultures around of the Mi'kmaq and uh, Wabanaki of perhaps people paddling out Yeah, there. they used to paddle between Cape Breton and and Newfoundland. Yeah, That's yeah. That's well documented, I think. Oh, completely, for sure, yeah. Be not, it's shorter, but not much. Um, no, not much. And in fact, uh, one could conceive it being almost more difficult up there because there's substantial more current. Right. You know, we had just a couple of knots of current, really, that right. we're dealing with up there where you're in the Cabot Strait. It's a different story. I guess the difference is like... I can see the natural, like, human desire to paddle between Cape Breton and Newfoundland because mm -hmm. there's, like, a lot happening, and you know, no, no matter which way you're going. But I can't see the, like, you know, if you're three or 500 or 1,000 years ago, like, the natural human desire just to paddle out to Sable Island. Well, you know, I guess some of the research that's been done is that, like, basically the shelf that Sable Island sits on uh, that allows it to be there. Right. Uh, if you went back you know, a couple thousand years when the, you know, you're closer to the last ice age, the, the sea level is a lot lower. Right. So there was a lot more islands. Oh. So you could conceivably imagine a scenario where they would have potentially island hopped oh, their way out all there. All the way out. And part of the way that they sort of assume that to be true 
is also based on the species that live there. So take um, the Ipswich sparrow, which is basically a species that only you know nests. It just in, could ne- it doesn't have the range to fly there or something. It does have the range to fly there, and it does fly there. But they kind of puzzled out that fact that like basically it land hopped its way from islands oh. that are no longer there to establish itself there over time. Yeah, and the other islands disappear, but that that one still healthy population of them is making their way out there. All cool. The time. Yeah, that's some remarkable his, like thought, you know, is that the ocean was, I forget the number, but like tens, if not hundreds of feet lower. Yeah. And oh, it was yeah. only like 10,000 years ago or something. Yeah. Well, for sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, somewheres back in, in, in the, you know, the, in the oral history of, of, of the Mi'kmaq people and stuff, you know, it, it would have potentially been conceivable, right? Wow. Yeah. There's probably so many archaeological sites that are just underwater now. Yeah. And, you know, and the folks at Parks Canada who are diligently trying to do a lot of this archaeology, you know, they recognize too that it's it's a resource issue, right? Just to get people out there to do this work is so crazy expensive and so uh, time consuming and it's happening, but slowly. Right. But, and there's too, you know, you get reports of different artifacts and stuff that get pulled up from you know, commercial fisheries and stuff in the, in the space between Sable and the mainland. Yeah. I was talking to a guy who works on a, like an offshore scallop boat. Oh yeah. All the weird. That's hardcore. Hardcore. And they're like out off those banks, you know, like not, not that far from there and all the weird things that they pull up. Oh yeah. Just weird, man. And he also, like 20 years ago, he dropped his wallet over the side and then like a year or two ago they were scallop dragging and they pulled up no his way yeah. really yeah with his driver's license like in it that is astounding <laughs> yeah Isn't wow that crazy that is incredible yeah. i mean that likelihood of that happening you should have bought a <laughs> like, lottery at, ticket after like that. we're talking like a hundred kilometers from shore like out in the open ocean he drops his wallet and then they drag over the same place like 20 years later right yeah and like probably in a kilometer of water and you think about all the currents and stuff <laughs> oh, and it's astounding. Wow, that's crazy yeah 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 uh he was an interesting guy. Long story, but um, yeah, man, that's cool. Uh, I don't know if I have anything else to ask you. I mean, I probably could talk about Sable Island all day long. It's but. an interesting <laughs> place, you know, and what I think is so captivating about it is that uh, it really is a place most people will never see, you know, so we kind of hold these places in high regard in our imagination. I've always wanted to go and, you know, whether or not I'll make it, I don't know, but I've always held it as like this in high regard, this mythical place, like off the Nova Scotia coast. and Yeah. Know. And I'm kind of, I feel fortunate in that again, being so sleep deprived when I was there, I remember it and I, you know, we have plenty of footage I can go back and, and sort of reference those memories too. But at the same time, uh, I have this sort of dreamlike memory of it too, because sort of walking around in a bit of a, mental fog. So is there a film people can watch? Yeah. yeah, what, yeah, yeah. Where do they find it? They can go over to a for venture or a for venture TV on YouTube. And there's some, some stuff there on our website as well. Yeah. That you can go and you can see the sort of the sizzle reel of how it all went down. I cool. see a much younger version of me. <laughs> well, that's what we were talking about before. Whenever time flies, man. <laughs> looking less tired. Yeah. Um, hey, thanks for coming on the show. Hey buddy. Thanks for having me, man. It's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. Do another one sometime. Anytime. Anytime.